pray together as a congregation. Lord Jesus, we cannot help but be captivated by your amazing love, the love which you have for us, that you went to the cross for us sinners. Lord, we make a mess of things uh, in so many different ways. But your grace, your mercy, your faithfulness to us is without limit. And we thank you for that. So keep us, Lord, humble and keep us repentant. Check our hearts, Lord. Check our hearts so that we know that uh, so that we know that we are living rightly with you. Because it's from the heart that precedes everything else in our lives. And Lord, only you can give us a new heart. A heart that serves you with genuine passion. A heart that serves you with genuine uh, desire that brings glory to you. So Lord, this is something that only you can do in and through us. And we thank you. So as we read your word today, as we study your word today, pray first of all that you would be glorified in the things that are said, that the things that are said would be in accordance with the truth of your word. And I pray that we would be strengthened as a congregation together through the truth of your word. We thank you that you gather us so that we can be taught your word, and that through the teaching of your word, transformation happens. And then we're able to go. We're able to go into our everyday lives as witnesses of who you are and of what you've done. And we thank you that you do this work in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I echo what Mike Callan said earlier, be in prayer for uh, our congregation, for our elders, for myself, and for, for David. I'll be praying for him. If David ever blessed you uh, through, his, uh, through his ministry here, I encourage you to write a note of encouragement uh, to him. Uh, write a note that uh, thanks him for uh, the things that he has done. We acknowledge that David did uh, much good here at Maple Park, and we appreciate him for that. But also understanding the high standard uh, to which uh, we're called as leaders in the church. Um, we have to do what's best for the church and ultimately what brings glory and honor to the Lord. So with that, I do invite you to stand as we read God's word today. We're going to begin reading in Acts chapter 8, beginning with the first verse. In Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it says that Paul approved of his execution. Or Saul, it says, Saul approved of his execution. This Saul, we know, is... The Apostle Paul. In chapter 9 of the book of Acts, the uh, Saul of Tarsus meets the Lord Jesus in a very radical way and his heart is converted. 
So Saul, the one who set out to destroy the church, was graciously saved by Jesus. And Saul, who we now know as Paul, is one of the great apostles in church history. So Saul, who later became the apostle Paul, approved of his execution. Whose execution? That was the execution of Stephen, a deacon, a servant within the church. Verse 8, or chapter 8, verse 1, And Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were scattered, all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. It seems that when Satan in, uh, intends something for, for, for evil, it seems that when Satan intends to destroy the church, that he actually ends up shooting himself in the foot. Because here I believe that the enemy was attempting to destroy the church in Jerusalem, but through this persecution, the believers actually spread throughout the world, and throughout the world they proclaimed the good news of the gospel. It seems as if Satan was trying to put out a fire, but what he ended up doing is spreading the fire even further. Then it says in verse 2, The devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So remember that this Saul later became the Apostle Paul, radically converted by the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Again, it's like trying to put out a grease fire with water. You can only spread the fire when you do that. So Satan cannot put out the fire of the gospel. When he tries, through attempting to destroy the church, the church only spreads, and the message only spreads. Verse 5, Philip, one of the apostles, went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the gospel. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. The gospel goes to this city in Samaria to a people who were not of the chosen people of Israel. They were not Jewish people. And here they received the gospel and saw the work of the gospel in people's lives. And there was much joy in that city. And I pray that there would be much joy among us and that there would be much joy within our community as a result of the ministry which we have been given by God through the Holy Spirit. Because where Christ is working through the gospel, there is joy. May we experience that joy here and within our community. Verse 9, but there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to this uh, magician named Simon. 
uh, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God and is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. So here, Simon the magician, Simon the sorcerer, he too believes the gospel, and he is baptized. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For they had not yet, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Here's our key verse today, verse 21. You have neither part nor lot in this matter. Why? For your heart is not right before God. For your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now they, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Here is the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. title of today's sermon is Counterfeit Action. Counterfeit Action. In the book of Acts, we read about the church, the church in action. Genuine action, not their own action, but the action of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit working through the apostles, working through the early church in powerful ways. We also see from this passage that there can be a counterfeit action. An action that is not of the Holy Spirit. So there's a number of things that we can learn from today's passage few things that I've written down for us today. So number one, God's grace and salvation. God's grace and salvation are for all who repent and believe the gospel. 
It's number one. God's grace, God's salvation are for all who repent and believe the gospel. Notice that Philip was in Samaria. The Samaritans were not God's chosen people. They were not of the nation of Israel. The Samaritans were despised by the Jewish people. They were considered to be half-breeds, idolaters, untrustworthy. Jewish people would go out of their way to go around Samaritan villages in the region of Samaria. They would take a longer route to avoid the Samaritans than to go through the region of Samaria. Here we see Philip bringing the gospel of God's grace and salvation to Samaritans. This follows in the example of Jesus. Jesus didn't avoid the Samaritans. Jesus didn't go around this group of people. Jesus entered into the region of Samaria and there he, he proclaimed the good news of the gospel to a despised and hated people. And as we study the book of Acts, we'll also see that the gospel is not only for Jews and Samaritans, but also for all nations, all Gentiles, for, for Romans and Greeks, for all the ethnicities of the earth. So this is the first thing we see from this passage, that God's grace and salvation are for all who repent and believe the gospel. And this is the message that we are called to proclaim to our world today. But the second point, the next thing that we learn from this passage is, is that baptized believers, we still need heart checkups. How many of you have gone to the doctor before? What's the, what's the doctor going to do during your checkup? What is one of the priorities that your, your physician has when, you're, when you uh, go in to visit him? He does a heart checkup. He listens. Physicians have been trained to listen to the heart. And we, we would never know it, but a physician can listen to the heart and, and just by listening can, can discover that there might be something wrong. Just by the sound of the beat of the heart. And then I've been on paramedic calls and they'll hook you up to these leads, these uh, electrical leads on your chest. And back in the day it was a paper receipt printout and the paramedic could look at it and say, Miss, Mrs. Smith, you're having a heart attack. By looking at the rhythm of the heart. As baptized believers, as those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, as those who have been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, we still need heart checkups. Is your heart genuine before God? Psalm 39, verses 23 through 24. If you'd like to turn there in your Bible. 
Psalm 39, I can read it off of here, 23, uh, the psalmist declares, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. In other words, lead me in your good eternal way. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. As baptized believers, we still need heart checkups. If your hearts are not right with God, we live with counterfeit action. Our desire as a church is that we would live with spirit-led, Christ-centered actions. You see, as a baptized believer, Simon the sorcerer was overcome, according to Peter, by the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. He was saved and baptized, but his heart wasn't right. And this hasn't been an easy week of ministry here at Maple Park for us in leadership. Daily, pretty much hourly, sometimes minute by minute, I've needed a heart checkup. Lord, where's my heart today? And I pray, Lord, from my heart, may there be love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and the hard one, the hardest one for me, self-control. It's been a difficult week. We need to check our hearts as a congregation. So then I just want to talk about how do we as believers check our hearts to make sure that our action is genuine and not counterfeit. How do we check our hearts? Well, A, number, the first point in this, uh, point number two, A, is that um, you're not qualified to check your own heart. You're not qualified to check your own heart. Only the Lord can check your heart. I'm not qualified to listen to my heart, my physical heart. I'm not qualified to hook myself up to the 12-point lead and read the little printed-out receipt of my heart rhythm. I'm not qualified to diagnose my own health issues. Only the Lord can check my heart. And give me a proper diagnosis of where my heart is. But then we, we need to ask the question, but how does the Lord check our heart? How does he do this? Well, point 2B is this, by the truth of his word. By the truth of his word. And for this we go to Hebrews chapter 4, beginning with the 12th verse says, for the word of the Lord is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, 
piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and of marrow. And discerning what? Discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So the Lord, he checks our heart through the truth of his word. And I need to say this doesn't feel good, but it is good. Now, if there's anything that our American culture needs to understand is, is that not everything that is good for us feels good. We're, we're such a, a, a culture addicted to pleasure and comfort that we forget that some of the best things for us are those things which don't feel good in the moment. And that's what God's Word does. Not everything in the scripture is going to make me feel good. Many of the things that I read in the Bible are going to make me feel pretty rotten. Because the Bible reveals the thoughts and the intention of the heart. And the heart so often is wrong before God. It doesn't feel good. So not everything good for you feels good. But it is good. Because then there's opportunity for repentance. To change course. To go in the right direction. So you're not qualified to check your own heart. Only the Lord can check your heart. But how does the Lord check your heart? By the truth of his word. Not only through the truth of his word. But through the loving counsel of fellow Believers through the loving counsel of fellow believers. Oftentimes, the way my heart is examined is through the encouragement or through the rebuke of a trusted brother or sister in Christ. Again, this is a good thing. Oftentimes, uh, good doctors will rebuke their patients. And my doctor in New York would do this every time. I would go see him. He would say, are, are you exercising? I would have to say, no, I'm not exercising. Are you eating right? No, I'm not eating right. He says, you're gaining weight. I said, I know I am. <laughs> he says, this is going to catch up with you. And I said, I know it's going to catch up with me. Loving rebukes. We need it. We need that from our fellow believers. But, but you need to know that the one who counsels a fellow believer, the one who has been given by the Holy Spirit the, uh, the assignment to point out another believer's fault, they need to check their own heart first. I think Jesus said something about the speck in your brother's eye. Right? Remember that? He says, how can, you, how can you remove the speck from your brother's eye if there's, a, if there's a plank in your own eye? If you've got this big plank in your eye, you're not qualified to go remove a little speck from your brother or your sister's eye. 
Jesus wants to guard us against hypocrisy and a heart that's wrong in rebuking. See, we can rebuke others with a bad heart too. When a believer is right with God, filled with the Holy Spirit, showing forth the fruit of the Spirit, and bathed in the light of Christ, the strong Christian can help the faltering Christian see their wrong heart motivation. I'll read that again. When a believer is right with God, filled with the Holy Spirit, showing forth the fruit of the Spirit, and bathed in the light of Christ, the strong Christian can help the faltering Christian see their wrong heart motivation. I just wrote that down really fast. I probably could have made that more concise in my grammar, but that's what came out. In other words, if you're right with God, if you're right with Him, you have the ability to really help other people, to help them in their discipleship, to help them to grow stronger and to be better. So point number one of our sermon today, point number one, is that God's grace and salvation are for all who repent and believe the gospel. Point number two, as a baptized believer, we still need a heart checkup. We're not qualified to check our heart, but God, through his word, he checks our heart for us. Through the counsel of fellow believers, uh, we can receive help in our heart checkup also. But number three is this, is that we also learn from this passage the power of grace. The power of grace. The power of grace is forgiveness. The power of grace is a new heart. I love Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25 through 27. And in these verses, the prophet Ezekiel receives the word of the Lord, and this is the word of the Lord uh, to uh, the nation of, of, of God's chosen people, but also to us today. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. I will sprinkle. What does that clean water that's being sprinkled on us remind you of? Well, it reminds me of baptism. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Verse 26, and I will give you what? A new heart, a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of of flesh. Do Do you see the grace here? You see the mercy and the compassion of God is that he wants to take stony-hearted people like me and like you, and he wants to give us new hearts, hearts that serve him, hearts that desire to do his will. A heart of flesh. A heart that feels. It feels the love and the presence of God. A heart that loves and has compassion. On others. Then verse 27. And I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes. And be careful to obey my rules. Here's the thing church. That where the spirit of the Lord is working. Their obedience will follow. Obedience to God's word. 
obedience to his statutes. The power of grace. The power of grace is not freedom to live however I want to live. That is not the power of grace. The power of grace is not license to live the way I want to live. Something else we need to realize is that the power of grace is not freedom from many of the consequences of our sinful actions. This is where the church can get messed up sometimes. Grace is not freedom from the consequences that our sins bring about. My sin can cause me to lose trust with others. And grace doesn't magically make all of that go away. But the power of grace is freedom to walk in joyful obedience with God. That's the power of grace. The power of grace is to know that no matter what I have done, I'm right with God. That the, the, there's the two dimensions to our relationships. There's our relationship to God, which is that vertical dimension. If, I have, if there is repentance and faith, I'm right with God. God doesn't see my sin. But there's also this horizontal dimension to our relationships in life, and that's relationships with each other. Just because I'm right with God doesn't mean my relationships with others are going to be, be magically made to be okay. But the power of grace is to know that we can walk in joyful obedience, not in fearful obedience of God's wrath, but in joyful obedience of who God is and what he's given to us in Christ Jesus. If you haven't heard it lately, church, there's just a basic message here. And that's that God says to you today, I love you. I love you with an everlasting love. He says to you today that I forgive you. I forgive you of all of your sins. And he says to you today that there is a grace, there is a power that enables you and causes you to walk in joyful freedom. I'm all about the freedom of a Christian. All about the freedom of a Christian, that you would know who God is, that he loves you, that he forgives you, and he offers you this freedom to not live how you want to live, to not live with a license to sin, but freedom to walk in joyful obedience, serving your neighbor, serving him, and serving one another. Power of grace. Lord Jesus, we pray today that we would walk in the power of grace, that we would not have a distorted understanding of grace, but a true understanding, a biblical understanding of grace, knowing that we're forgiven before you, knowing that your grace is sufficient for us in every struggle, every temptation, every difficulty, and that your grace is power for us to walk in joyful freedom with you to bring you glory and honor. 
So Lord, may we be a genuine people, genuinely filled with your Holy Spirit. I thank you that even nothing indicates within the scripture today that Simon the sorcerer lost his salvation or that he was condemned to hell. Lord, even Simon the sorcerer was a recipient of your grace, and we thank you for that. Thank you for the power of your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.